Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. Hey, gang, remember to give us some reviews. Like I mentioned every week, everything that we do on the show is free. We all take some time to record the podcast. There are also some Podbean fees that I have to pay, and then also with all the editing and the posts throughout the week. Give us some reviews on your favorite podcast service, or tell a friend. That's probably the best thing that you can do if you have a friend that's been wanting to get into Hellboy comics, or they've been wanting to see what it's all about. This is a great way to introduce them to it, so let all your comic book-minded friends know about our show. I also wanted to plug Hellboy and the BPRD Beast of Vargu this week, the Duncan Fagredo issue dropped and it was so great i almost wanted to just uh, say that we should talk about it on the show so maybe we can do that at some point it was such a good issue so definitely go check that out even if you're not caught up you can totally read this issue and just enjoy the mignola figredo team up again wait so it's not in continuity i mean it is but it has there are no spoilers to anything else that's going on it doesn't relate to any, it's just kind of a self-contained little story. Maybe that's what I, how I should have said it. It's okay. kind of a self-contained, just kind of one shot. You know, kind of similar to the Hellboy short stories that we started off with that kind of stand on their own. And you can check out Mignolaverse.com. They actually have a video review of the issue, which is pretty fun. And we haven't done this in a while. I wanted to give some shouts outs to all our pals. The art of MikeMignola.com. You can buy prints signed by Mignola and Dave Stewart. You can also check out Duncan Figueredo's site and buy some stuff from him. Check out Mike Mignola's art on Facebook. That's uh, one of my favorite places on the internet. You can also check out the Mignolaverse subreddit on Reddit the Discord link on our Facebook page, and also follow us on all the social medias. And now we're going to move on to some listener feedback. I got a Hey You Damn Guys from Carlos Martinez. He says, Hey You Damn Guys, just a quick thing. Someone I followed years ago on Tumblr printed their own BPRD Fun Run shirts. And so remember we were laughing about that BPRD Fun Run shirt. And so Carlos Martinez, he sent me a picture of the person wearing the shirt. And I knew who the person was already because I followed them on Twitter. So I messaged this person. They go by at Skulldoggo on twitter and they're also a great artist that does hellboy art from time to time on instagram you can check them out at ginger is a spice they said way back in 2013 is when at chase antics designed and handmade the screen printing on the shirt so i reached out to at chase antics and this is the same person a couple weeks ago that had that tyler crook painted kate piece okay yeah they had the original of that so that's the person that screen printed the shirt And they gave me permission to post a picture on our social media. So I'm going to post that. It's a really cool shirt. And she said, Mike, Tyler, Dave, and Scott all have ones too. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah, so I thought that was so awesome. And I really liked how Carlos Martinez, his letter, reached out to these other people that I already kind of knew in the community. I just thought that was so cool that everybody's all connected in in these ways. So anyway, 
Back to Carlos Martinez, he said, Oh, and by the way, since you're reading Screw on Head, I'm assuming you'll be reading The Magician and the Snake. And he posted a picture of, he has a tattoo of The Magician and the Snake of that statue. Oh, that's cool. That's at the end. And he said, I'll have to share it with you guys. I was thinking that that would make a good tattoo. Yeah. And he said, um, this was fresh out of the oven some years ago. Can you spot the mistake? And I looked at it. I didn't notice any mistake with it. So I'll have to look at that again. He also said, keep it up, you guys. Can't wait to get to more James Heron. Spoiler, maybe, right? We will see more James Heron on the book. I don't think it's a spoiler. We've been talking about how he's coming. Yeah, <laughs> and he also said, P.S. It's so strange to hear Matt say his line after years of reading his letters in the Hell Mail. What a world. Yeah, so the <laughs> kill the black flame. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> no, that is actually kind of like a weird small world kind of thing. Yeah. Thanks so much, Carlos. Thanks for connecting all the dots with all these cool people. I really love this community. Hope to hear from you again soon. We also had some feedback on our Duncan Figredo episode. Mark Tweedell said, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I'd love to see more artist-focused pieces in the future from time to time, even if it does mean I have to wait a little longer for the next story-focused episode. In regards to Matt's question about which review I laid out colors for, I've actually done that a few times. The big one was for Abe Sapien Dark and Terrible, which is so exceptionally spoilery. We'll have to have this discussion after you wrap up that series. And he said that he also did a retrospective review of BPRD 1947, but it's also spoilery if you're not caught up. But if you are caught up, go check out those articles at multiversitycomics.com. We've done 1947, though, right? Yeah, we have, but some of the stuff that he talks about is relating to the current stuff. Ah, okay. Okay. We had some feedback on Return of the Master. Jerry Turnbull said, Love this story. I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. I really thought the Russian fellow was coming back. Same, Jerry. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> I really did, too. And Jan Nikla said, John is right. I will reveal all my secrets later. He talked about he had some reasons that he liked the Black Flame as a villain. He said, Return of the Master is indeed one of the highlights of the series because it pushes the story forward. But again, I don't have much to say about it except that it made me finally appreciate the greatest running gag of all of Hellboy. Rasputin, chew toy of destiny. This guy never catches a break, and I think when most people think of Hellboy villains, they think of him and maybe Nazis. But let's be honest, he stopped being scary after Seed of Destruction. His destiny seems to be hyped up and then ending in a complete letdown, like a lot of hypes. He wants to be a big man, but in reality, he's just a fallen rock star of evil, who has to work as a party clown to finance his addiction to his own posters, because they are the only reminder of when he was once cool for like five minutes. Poor Rasputin, but that's what you get when your record company consists of seven angry old people in cosmic plastic packaging. <laughs> Jeez. But now, move aside, Grandpa. The newest shit is in town. He burns and he's buff. He's the buff flame and he will kick your ass like Vrilroids. <laughs> oh, shit. The new BPRD, hotter, meaner, more destructive, yeah. Don't miss our next exciting episode of Why We Lose, nonetheless, the BPRD story. Nice. Only um, ramblings today, but at least I hope it was a bit entertaining. Hear you next week. Screw on head is special. Yeah, so thank you always, Jen Niklas, for your great feedback. It's I, good. I, I love the uh, description of Rasputin in there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Just the, what do you say, ancient rock star? With right. The, with the seven people in the packaging. <laughs> that was great. Jen Niklas, book club member. Jason Abaddon said, I love how the UN guy gets hysterical while Kate is like, pull your shit together. A nice reversal on that cliche from old Hollywood movies. 
It's a double gut punch that, right when the Black Flame returns, more powerful than ever, Liz is hurt and laid low. The heroes are down but not out as the roller coaster ride ends in an upswing. They reveal the Russian supercarrier. Yeah, so I thought that was great feedback. Mark Tweedell said, The BPRD always had an ongoing numbering, but for the 100th issue, they moved it from the interior credits to the front cover. So I guess the numbering was in the inside all along, right? It was inside of us all along. But since we're not reading the single issues, you probably missed out on that. He said, Technically, the interior numbering started with the dead number one, number 13 in a series. But you know, that's close enough to the beginning. In regards to Cronin and Kurtz surviving the explosion in Hellboy Wake the Devil, I figured Rasputin sacrificed a part of himself to pull them from the explosion. Cronin alive, Kurtz a fresh corpse. Given Cronin brought Herman von Klemp to life after he was dead, it's not much of a stretch to imagine he could have brought back Kurtz as well. Bringing the dead back to life is Cronin's thing after all. Dr. Lazar, on the other hand... Did he manage to tune into that fleck of Rasputin's soul in hell? Yeah, so I thought that was some good feedback. Yeah, so how did Lazar connect to Rasputin? I just figured because, okay, so you remember in um, Darkness Calls, was it? Bobby Yeager's like shoving all those souls into the goat so Kashi can be more powerful. And right. she went to go shove the, the spark of acorn is the last she had left and then somebody knocks it away. So I figured maybe his spark of soul kind of got out and somehow infected him. Maybe he got into the water supply. Right. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of, that's my theory. I don't know. It's out there, right? It's out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So. And you can see he was definitely becoming Rasputin. Right. Yeah. He definitely was. Which just actually kind of makes it all the more hilarious that just, you know, he's all like big and powerful. He's starting to suck up these souls and then Black Flame comes back and all the Audrey him come up and he's just a charge. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That was a good reversal. Drew Campbell said, I've actually noticed lots of comics using the word the before the name of the language. Remember we talked about how it said translated from the Russian and then yeah. in the omnibus version it just said Russian. That's interesting because I've never noticed it say the before. Yeah, Drew Campbell said probably more so in older comics. It's an archaic usage that apparently used to be used anytime you were referring to a language, but now it is only used when referencing something being translated. So my question is... Why did they change that for the collected editions? And he actually posted an article from Gramophobia.com. Mark Tweedo also commented on this. It used to be quite common in English to use the definitive article before the name of the language. Although the usage is now obsolete, except in contexts that indicate translation from an original language. According to Merriam-Webster Unabridged, the Oxford English Dictionary has examples of the usage from the late 1500s to the mid-1960s. The earliest is from Strange News, a 1593 work from an Elizabethan pamphlet to borrow some lesser quarry of election from the Latin. I used to think that that was very charming whenever I came across that. Yeah, so... I was like that. Yeah, but I I wonder why did they change that for the collective? Did they just think it was confusing or they just said... Uh Maybe they're just, you know, moving on with the times. Right. You know, you got to speak like these kids speak today. Well, (laughs) maybe no one got it, you know. Right, right. What does that mean? When I posted about the Black Flame's new design, friends of Strackbine said, Jerk indeed, now please delete this post. <laughs> I saw that. That was great. <laughs> Lobster20,000 said, I love this design. DJ Alpha T said, Brilliant design, fuck the Black Flame. Joshua Worley said, The evolution of the Black Flame design is by far and away one of my favorites of the HBBPRD universe. Sorry, Matt. 
who better to love to hate than this beautiful bastard? It's like something off a Slayer album cover. Finally, in this form, a body that can house the power and the potential of the dragon. But you know the rules. Kill the black flame. Jason Abaddon said, It's everyone's favorite dollar store ghostwriter. This Nazi scum gets a second shot at life and a massive level up while everyone else gets kicked in the teeth. Some days just ain't fair. At Imperius Rex Show said, Love this design and his ever-widening maw. When I posted about the flashback to Yosef and Vivara, Ryan Rowlandson said, There have been many creepy young girls in horror, but damn if Vivara isn't the creepiest. And Ryan Yule actually has the page of the Return of the Master, where Yosef is like drunk off the new formaldehyde or whatever, and he's laughing in front of Vivara. He has that page. I yeah. saw that. I saw that one. That was pretty kick-ass. Yeah. Gonna comment on the Black Flame, you know? <laughs> Just oh, yeah, bit, yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, I mean, he is, you know, a really good design. You know, the design of the character is fucking perfectly spot on. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, he is such, like, a, a wiener. <laughs> you know, he's like a business executive who didn't know what the fuck he was doing, and now he's this whatever he is now. Yeah, right. And it just goes to show, because, like, I don't know how many people guys remember G.I. Joe, but, like, all the... Everyone knows what G.I. Joe is. All the Cobra... Yeah, people yeah, who are... Yeah, no, yeah, come on. People yeah. who are like, oh, well, I watched G.I. Joe, and I was like, everyone knows what that is. I, I'm just saying, some of them might be younger. Okay, no. Everyone knows what G.I. Joe is. Anyway, Continue. Anyway. Anyway, Let us know if you know what G.I. Joe is. You know, like all the Cobra figures, they looked really badass, but they were all dumb as shit. <laughs> you know, Cobra Commander is like a fucking great design, but he is dumber than a right. elf. <laughs> Not to say the G.I. Joe guys were much smarter. He was basically but... Starscream. Right. Oh, yeah. He was They're the same, same voice, character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris Slatta. Yeah, I think yeah. so. But I mean, yeah. even the but it's the characters were the same. Oh yeah, like so. If you want to know what the tr- the Decepticons would be like, a Starscream rule, yeah. look at GI Joe. Right. <laughs> well, Baroness wasn't so bad. I think that she was more of a victim of bad management. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, Baroness was cool. Destro was all right. The rest of them. <laughs> you know who had the best shot were those bug people from the movie, the plant people, mm. the bug plants, the people. Cobra Law. Yeah, Cobra. <laughs> 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 When I posted about Phoenix and the Enceladite, Jason Abaddon said, Definitely an odd page here. I wonder if this is some unrealized plot thread. He also said, Maybe Kate's unease is because Phoenix is underage and suddenly it's going to be a de facto BPRD agent. Yeah, so I thought that was all great feedback. It's always good to hear from you, Jason. When I posted about all the Ogdrahem popping up, Church of Sagan said, The last page one always reminds me of the creature's from Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. And that's a 1984 Japanese animated epic science fantasy adventure film by Miyazaki based on his 1982 manga of the same name. Have you ever seen that? No, but it sounded the name sounded familiar. And then when you said Miyazaki, I was like, that's probably why it sounded familiar. Yeah. yeah. And so I've, I've actually never seen it, but I just Googled the name of this movie and then Monster and it came up. And it kind of looked like that Mud Skipper one with all the eyes on the front. Okay. It's kind of a monster in that. But it looked really cool. Yeah, great design. Well, I mean, Miyazaki's... St- I mean, have you seen him as other stuff? I really haven't. I've kind of missed out on all that. I need to go back and check some of that out. Techpat De Sequoia asked, Do you think Hellboy is worthy enough to lift Thor's hammer? So I actually saw that one, and I started thinking about it, and I am not sure. What do you think about that? I think that generally depends on what the writers need for a plot point. At mm. any given time in any given storyline, it it's it it fluctuates wildly, right? The uh, 
the criteria for okay. that for being worthy. Oh, I see. So I feel like that's something that um, if there's a good story behind it, sure, mm. sure, yeah. But if it's just to you know, then right? No. So you know, I'd like to see a good story behind it. He could pull Excalibur. So does that that's have anything to do so, with yeah, that? Yeah, but, but that's I mean, what I'm saying is that's that's there's your story, right? Is well, Thor I mean, and Hellboy are hanging out. They each have their thing that only they can wield. That's funny. Do something with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, but Excalibur is he was able to pull it out because he was a um, descendant of Arthur. Oh right, right. Um, and so you know the whole worthiness thing is like a Marvel invention, and so it's like sure. you know it's better though. Oh yeah, I love it. I feel it's, like that's it, better. It's it's a great addition yeah. to the lore. Because what if what if you're a dick, but you're a descendant of somebody, <laughs> right. and you get the sword? <laughs> like that's you know what I mean. I wouldn't say he's unworthy, but you know I mean, it's not like he. Right. I, I, okay. I feel like it'd probably be similar to Captain America: Age of Ultron, where he just kind of sort of. Oh, okay. But who not. decides who's worthy? Because that's what I'm saying. Like, so the object I, itself has to be the decider. Yeah. Because I feel like context matters. Yeah. With that, so it's kind of like, oh, whatever the hammer decides. Yeah, I think that's it's like I a think cosmic that's... decider of who's worthy of wielding uh-huh. the, the hammer magic spickle. that the hammer possesses. <laughs> yeah. So. So you want to hear my outlandish answer to this? I would say, yeah. I would if say, it's a good story, I would say, yeah, do it. My answer is, I think the right hand of doom is the yeah. hammer of oh, Thor. Oh, yeah. So, that sounds good. I'll, I'll go okay. with that. And I'll it's like, uh, sure. he was kind of picked for this yeah. thing because he's rejected his destiny. Sure. You know, it's supposed to be for evil and all this stuff. And the whole time he's been like, fuck that. I don't want to do that. I don't want my crown. I yeah. don't want any of this stuff that goes along with this right hand. So I want to say like, the right hand is this universe version of Thor's is the hammer. hammer. Sure. And he's the only one who can wield it. That's great. Okay. That's that, that's my interpretation well, of other it. People, I don't know if that answers the question or we've not. We've gotten <laughs> visions of people like, oh, they're going to get that hand and they're going to wield it. To yeah. Use it to make doom and the apocalypse remember when he so. uh, remember in Macoma where he fought the dragon and then when he fell down he turned back into a man and he was a man holding a hammer yeah right oh, and in then, his right hand and then also in um storm in the fury where he's like walking up with the one eye they think yeah. he's holding and they're like no wait there's his hammer yeah you know? yeah so i like that theory anyway no, it's good. Some things I forgot to talk about. Man, when I was editing the episode last week, I was so irritated because we, I kept saying, and I think you did it a couple times too, we kept saying Ogdra Jihad instead of Ogdra Hem. Oh, Right? Damn. And so Ogdra Jihad are the dragons in space, and but the Ogdra Hem are these monsters that are all over like the, like Katha Hem and all that stuff. And so we kept saying, oh, and these Ogdra Jihads are all coming out of the ground, and they're not. <laughs> it was the Ogdra Hems. And I know that that's a little minor thing, but it's it never- irritated me so much when I was editing the episode it's, i was like god damn it why do i keep saying we that? could always go back over it like simpson style mr black <laughs> <laughs> no but i him. i feel like <laughs> you know i i generally give myself a pass on stuff like that because i'm I'll, i'm someone who will say a frankenstein or a dracula you know what i mean even if that's not you know so i don't well, i don't care well i think the listeners definitely sure gave that, us a pass yeah, because nobody mentioned it <laughs> in fact the angrier that people get at me the better when I'm saying this. I hope you're mad. Yeah. I, th- <laughs> I think that there was another mistake, too. I think I said conquer worm when it was really wake the devil or sure. something like that. That one is unacceptable. <laughs> I, ho- I hope all these fucking nerds are absolutely furious. <laughs> you know, I think I even caught you doing it once and then I didn't say anything. And then I, I probably did it myself because, you know, it's just whatever. <laughs> anyway, if you notice me making mistakes like that, please point them out. 
It's like uh, the difference between an asteroid and a meteor. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. Screw on head. Calling screw on head. Screw on head. Screw on head. Coming, Mr. President. Yes, sir. This week we're going to be talking about the amazing screw on head and other curious objects. This is a hardcover collection that was published by Dark Horse Comics containing stories tangentially related to the Hellboy universe, as well as a number of expanded or new stories, published in September 2010. Part 1 collects The Amazing Screw-On-Head, which was published as a one-shot issue in May of 2002. Following the story is a subsection, Newly Unearthed Curiosities from the Secret Files of the Amazing Screw-On-Head, that were not included in the original single issue. Story and art by Mignola, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Pat Brousseau for this section. The dedication reads, For my wife, my daughter, and former U.S. President Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) I want to talk about this cover. If you're looking at the hardcover collection, as you start to get into it past the title page, there's like this beautiful image of Screw on Head with all this imagery from the other stories that we're going to read. You can see the turnip and the snake, the devil with the cards, and... All these different things. Those are, I think, on the bottom, these are all the jewels that spill out of the devil when he cracks open. There's also that ABC square circle triangle thing. Oh, yeah, the solid objects, of course. And so I think this was actually a print that Mignola and Dave Stewart did. I unfortunately missed out on this one. And then when we get to the cover image, is that on here? It doesn't look like the cover of the issue is in the beginning of this trade. But the cover image, I have the artist edition. We need to look at that before you leave. But in the artist edition, which is amazing, it has the cover image, and it seems like the cover image was a gift for Dave Stewart. It says under the image, Merry Christmas, Dave. This year, you did a particularly good job of saving my ass. Thanks, Mike M. Cool. So I thought that was cool to see the artist edition is the original scans of those um, right, of right. those pages. That's so nice. I like this here with the little... Uh, oh, that's it. Where did you find that picture? It's, it's in the back. It's in here. Oh, okay. So I guess it's in the back. That is it. I love this so much. And the colored version is so nice. I love this little turnip here. This just cute little guy. Yeah. Yeah, that turnip. And that, that shows up a couple times. Um, but that is the cover image I was talking about. Great. So it's in the back of the trade version. I love this. We open with Abraham Lincoln. And let's just address it right now. It's so good to have all this Mignola art again. Ah, it's so good. Yeah, it is. It's wonderful. Not that other artists aren't good, but it's good to have Mignola art. Yeah. It's been a while. We haven't seen any Mignola art since episode 29, our King of Fear episode. If you want to call that, it was only two pages. If not, it was our Hellboy short story part five, episode 12, where we discussed the Whittier legacy. So that was a long (laughs) ass time ago when you think about it. Right. These These are so good. I know that nobody listening to me can can see what I'm pointing to. I was just talking about that. I know, That's but the one I, I love was, them. Yeah, they're great. They're great. I would love to have that print. How many times has Abe Lincoln just popped up in like fiction? It's like a, you know, not only was like the a badass lot. president, but. He, oh, yeah. He, I, you know, you don't ever see stories with like fucking Andrew uh, Johnson. Right. <laughs> it would be such an undertaking to try and collect somehow all of the media and various. I mean, ways that like here, he disappeared. I mean, like he's been a vampire hunter. He's got this thing going <laughs> I mean, for him. Books, comics, TV shows, movies, like just in general, it's just so much. Yeah. Well, I think it has a lot to do with that time period, too, because that time period is kind of like ripe for 
all these historical fiction stories, and then Lincoln is a prominent part of all that history. So it reminds me of that that was it Futurama where they're talking about what the past was like, and it's <laughs> oh yeah, George the, uh, Washington riding on a blind something d- something on the moon. It was the second episode. Got like ray guns. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, Whalers on the moon. Whalers on the moon. That's what we've got now. That's what we've got. <sighs> anyway, so Lincoln is calling for a screw on head, and I love these um, this kind of relief behind him. I was trying to figure out what this is. If that's from the White House or something like that. If anyone knows, let let me know what these pieces of architecture are. We also see this stone angel on top of the building, and it's like transmitting the signal for screw on head. I love the juxtaposition of the goofy shit that's happening against all of this very moody. Yeah. It's this all this Mignola art. Exactly. It's very like all the mood shots and all the stuff everywhere. It looks very creepy and it's real nice. And of course, Dave Stewart, excellent. Yes. Colors, but then you've got this like bouncing head <laughs> coming, Mr. President. It's very, it's just the goofiest shit. I it's, really love it. It really is. It kind of reminds me of absurd absurdity. I was just like, about to say um, that. It's very absurdist. Like, like kind of like David Lynch kind of absurdity, I kind would, of that flavor. I swear he took the words right out of my mouth. As, as I was reading this, I thought this is some absurdist stuff and I love it. We pan over Screw on Head's base and we see all the different bodies. We get some great mood shots like Danielle was talking about. It seems like a nine-year-old wrote it. Yeah, and Screw on Head, he comes pinging along, right? He's bouncing. And he talks to Lincoln on a video screen. Lincoln says, There's been some trouble at the Museum of Dangerous Books and Paper. Poison (laughs) gas, scorpions. Sounds like Emperor Zombie, Screw on Head says. Anything missing? You bet, says Lincoln. The Kalakistan Fragment. Lincoln Lincoln says it's untranslatable, but they'd still like to have it back. And so Screw on Head calls for Mr. Groin. I'll be needing a body for this, he says. This page is amazing. (laughs) Seriously sounds like, you know, your nine-year-old niece wrote this or something. Like, it's very, there's trouble at the Museum of Dangerous Books and Paper. (laughs) They got poison gas and scorpions. It sounds like it's... The work of Emperor Zombie. Right, exactly. Like it's, uh, it's good shit. When I was reading the story, it reminded me of um, Axe Cop. Have you heard of that one? Oh, yeah, Axe Cop. That's yeah. great. That's that's a great kind of parallel to this. And and I also want to point out all the kind of steam uh, Victorian stuff that's in the that's in the base, too. Mignola loves drawing that, that kind of stuff. I know that you don't want to say steampunk, because that's <laughs> got its own thing now. Yeah. It's, that's off in another different direction, but it is very, yeah, Victorian machinery, Yeah, we can say, safely, I think. Mr. Groin picks the body named Lucky 13, and it has like a shamrock on it, right, or something? It's a three-leaf, so it's not really a shamrock. It's more of a uh, like a club you would see on a playing card. Right. Okay, yeah. And but I all the lo- suits everywhere, the bodies, quote-unquote, everywhere hanging around are pretty cool. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Say? No, I was just going to say, I love this where the, the head screws on. Yeah. And it has that kung sound as it kind of yeah. like snaps yeah. into place. We were watching the cartoon and I thought that's one thing that I kind of missed out on. It was more like a click right. when it snapped in. It didn't, oh, I, yeah. I wanted kind of more the of that fully, sound. The fully didn't quite match up with right. the onomatopoeias that we're seeing here. <laughs> and <laughs> Screw on Head talks about the Kalakistan fragment. Supposedly detailed the life of Gung the Magnificent, who nearly conquered the world in 9632 BC with supernatural powers derived from a fabulous melon-sized jewel. Mr. Groin mentions that it's untranslatable, but Screw on Head says, Untranslated so far, you forget that in life, Emperor Zombie <laughs> was Professor H.G. Manifold. The master of ancient languages. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible dialogue. Love it. 
Oh, man. Love it. I love it. And Groin says, it's as you always say, sir. All really intelligent people should be cremated. For the sake of national security. Yeah, that's what Groinhead says. And I love there's this kind of like uh, bald eagle motif like that appears behind him. Oh, it's good. Man, it's great. But I just got to point out to this. I love this image of Gung holding this kind of like star yeah. shape. I guess that's that melon-sized jewel. We see that a couple times. It's such a beautiful well, look at image. Look all this Mignola imagery. Yeah. I mean, the goofiest story ever. I really love it. <laughs> the juxtaposition is so, it's perfect. It's only when we were watching that anime just a little bit earlier, um, how you were saying like, who's this for? Well, yeah. But, but, but I mean, if they had done it more like this, right. more goofy, like the way you're reading it. Right. I think for it would, yeah. For the people listening, we watched this, well, we'll talk about this later, but we watched the animated version of this just before we recorded this episode right so just in the middle of it i was like who is this for because i couldn't figure out right like they they didn't want to go too far one direction or the other so they ended up with kind of a mishmash a mishmashy kind of a compromise thing right and I, yeah so if they had just taken it to one extreme or the other yeah it's it's either for adults or it's for kids yeah. it's, you know like like a venture brothers type of deal that's clearly for adults, but it's fucking hilarious, and yeah. I feel like that would work if you tried to do it again. Now we've got so many fucking sarcastic. Lean cartoons. towards more the goofy stuff. Lean yeah. towards yeah. goofy stuff, but for adults. Yeah, because yeah. that's that that creepy style is going to resonate with adults and kids. I mean, I'm sure kids will watch the Venture Brothers and love it. I mean, right. They won't yeah. understand the fucking references like we we're talking about <laughs> earlier, but I I just feel like uh, there's so many more cartoons now that hit that very sarcastic note. Right. That I think it, you could you could try this again and it would work. Right. But yeah. But I can see why it didn't work when they did it, like with the early two thousands. Um, I think it was. Uh, we're gonna get to that. Yeah. I think it was two thousand six. Yeah. Back in aught six. Yeah. You couldn't make a cartoon that was creepy and funny at the same time. Right. Anyway. <laughs> Screw on head. He goes over to Mr. Dog, Mr. and so dog. Mr. Dog is this like he's like a taxidermy dog missing a leg, right? Yeah. And but he's in this kind of case. There's kind of like this green tint to him. And he says, I need Emperor Zombie's current location. Woof, woof. 687 miles southeast off Castilla La Mancha. And so this is actually a region in central Spain. Yeah, we're just going to skip over the talking taxidermy dog. No, well, yeah, that's great. I mean, it's oh, just wow. it just kind of goes along with this no, whole perfect, with this yeah. whole thing that we've seen so far. No, but tell us about uh, Spain. Oh, no. Well, that was it. Oh, I was just it? saying that it, I, was, I just wanted to mention that it was a real place. And so we cut over to this image of Professor Zombie's evil balloon going it. across. I just really <laughs> just really love the sound effect and everything. There are all <sighs> these flies also following Emperor Zombie's balloon. Such a great panel. Scrawn Head says he must be headed for Oswam Valley, generally considered to be the worst place on Earth. And Jeez. so I was looking, I was trying to find out if this is a real place. There is an Oswan, that's a city on the Nile River. But this has an M instead of an N, so... But it does look like it takes place in Egypt, so maybe they just kind of, like, took a little turn on that name. It just seems like, uh... This is, this is how a kid talks. This yeah. is how a kid would write a <laughs> yes, book. Yes, yes. Uh, they're going to this place. It's the worst place on Earth. <laughs> it's very... I love the extremes. They're not... He's... He's not shying away from, like, the goofiness of what it's like to be a kid and tell, right, telling yeah. the story. Anyway. Mr. Groin says the whole world is depending on them. Again, Screw Head says. Therefore, let us be bold in our actions. Best speed by whatever means necessary. Beware, Emperor Zombie. We are coming for you. <laughs> and yeah, I love all this. 
we cut his screw on head and Mr. Groin in a rocket. And I love the design of this whole thing that's going to like launch them into the air too. It's just okay. very uh just very bulky and it really has that great Mignola design. Yeah. I'm sorry, were you going to say something? I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just so silly. Yeah. <laughs> and I like the design, you know, the whole 1860s machinery right. kind of look yeah. to everything. It's just, all right, let's see where this goes. <laughs> the panel where they actually shoot the capsule into the air is such a wonderful panel. It's yeah. so wonderfully... With the boom in there, that looks yeah. like it's Mignol actually put I in there. I love that. And it's the composition is so brilliant. I really just, I love it. I love everything about it. It's super good. The capsule also kind of reminds me of the capsule in um, From Earth to the Moon, that that silent film. Oh, okay. You know, you've seen the one. It's like, you know, picture of the moon, and it's got all of a sudden got the, the bullet-looking capsule stuck in its eye. Right, yeah, yeah. You know is a fan of all those old horror movies and silent films. So, yeah, yeah. he probably took some inspiration from that. Godspeed, screw on head, Lincoln says. I think says. it's called A Trip to the Moon. Oh, you're right. You're oh, okay. Right. Yeah. It's in French originally, so that's definitely not even the original name, but I think it's translated to like Trip to the Moon or something. Like that. Not too long ago, Netflix had a colorized version on it. Yeah, really? I, I saw that. I didn't watch that. Wow. It was very trippy. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I <Okay>. watched it. <laughs> right on. I love this when they blast off. The rocket starts going into outer space, and Screw on head says, Back to Earth, please, Mr. Groin. And so you see the rocket kind of turn and go along the surface of the ocean. This uh, picture of all the boats kind of reminds me a little bit of some of the imagery from um, the island. Yeah, (laughs) it sure does. We cut to Answam Valley, and we see the hot air balloon tied to some old ruins. Love it. We see Emperor Zombie's crew... And so I wanted to describe these characters a little bit. So you've got Emperor Zombie, and he's like a skull head, right? Mm -hmm. And he's got like this Victorian outfit, and he's got a medallion with that same skull and crown that we saw on his boat. So we have Dr. Snap, and he's like in this outfit. He's got like a light bulb and this whole kind of contraption. He's also got one of those skull crowns on his sleeve. And then we have this vampire lady. Now in the cartoon they called her Patience, but I don't think in this she they, she's have a I don't name, think she's yeah. named at all. But we can go ahead and call her that too. The three of them together just look great. I just love this this yeah, trio. It's, it's just ridiculous. And Emperor well, Zombie I is like when he says, What do you have to say, madam? And she it's that little thing that we like where it's just kind of a scribble right it's just like muttering or something yeah she's muttering and he goes yes i am a genius yeah (laughs) i I just love that whole panel this little way it's like yes i am a genius (laughs) and he's got the flies going around him and so he translates some writing woe to all who enter into this place turn back lest great vengeance be leveled against thee for this is the tomb of gung just after Emperor Zombie says that he's a genius he like laughs maniacally and then all the lights go out (laughs) and then they come back on like what? What is that weird little beat right there? Is that just uh? His crew member guy, Doctor Snap, is holding this light. Oh, okay. So he's laughing. The light goes out. It comes back on, and he finishes laughing. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the gag. I like that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, thanks for pointing that out. And then we cut to the next page. We see this awesome Mignola uh, depiction of these ancient ruins. Oh, so good. And so I was trying to look for this up. So this looks like this is Ba. In ancient Egyptian religion with the Ka and the Ankh, a principal aspect of the soul, the Ba appears in bird form, thus expressing the mobility of the soul after death. Originally written with the sign of the Jabiru bird and thought to be an attribute of only the god king. The Ba was later represented by a man-headed hawk, often depicted hovering over the mummies of kings and commoners alike. So that's kind of, this Ba is over Gung. 
So that kind of goes along mm-hmm. with that mythology. And I just really love this page. And so we kind of see Ba, we see this man standing with a box right underneath the statue. And as we focus in on the figure, we see that it's a skeleton wearing ceremonial jewelry and it's holding this box. And this is just so beautiful. I just love all of this ancient Egyptian kind of stuff. It also looks like it's covered in like dust and um, cobwebs. Yeah. And you just get that. It really feels old. Gung, zombie says, now his great object belongs to me. And so Gung whispers to him, foolish mortal, beware my... And zombie says, quiet, you horrible thing. And he just shoots Gung. And the box drops to the floor. And all this is just really great. I mean, every one of these pages is a work of art on its own. That's my favorite thing, though, is when something is so artful and so just masterful and it's, yeah it's incredible it's breathtaking and it's just super goofy <laughs> <laughs> love it emperor zombie raises the box in the air he says here it is begang agro ash left eye of nog the jewel worshipped by the wizards of Mu and the black priests of atlantis finally passed down to gung the magnificent who was chosen by the gods to conquer the world and now and so zombie opens the box and he pulls out this turnip and he just kind of holds it there i love this panel where he's just holding it by the little string at the top then he screams out ah it's not a jewel it's just a dirty old piece of crap (laughs) so you know this is he's just like every new panel just it gets more ridiculous yeah (laughs) it's just like okay he's gonna open the jewel and it's a fucking turnip the turnip is so lovingly rendered (sighs) i love i love the way (sighs) that this turnip is drawn and i love this kind of cutaway to this melon sized jewel again that they keep showing gung holding in this relief right it really kind of puts it all in perspective you know right yeah it's like this thing and it's like glowing it's floating above his hand he opens it up and it's a fucking turnip Snap uses his metal detector type device on the turnip, and he says it has a small parallel universe inside. And we see that jewel again. Shambhala, Emperor Zombie says. Shambhala. In Hindu you know those, is... those songs about Shambhala from the 70s and shit? You ever heard any of this? There is There was a huge hippie movement about Shambhala. Anyway. Right. Well, in Hinduism and Tibetan Buddhist tradition... Shambhala is a mythical kingdom. The kingdom is said to be laid out in precisely the same form as an eight-petaled lotus blossom surrounded by a chain of snow mountains. At the center lies the palace of the king of Shambhala, who governed from the city called Kalapa. It's also called Shangri-La in some other texts. There's a lot of different spellings, and so I think that that's what kind of this is a reference to here. We see Screw-On-Head's rocket flying through Egypt, and inside, Mr. Dog barks. Good boy, Screw-On-Head says. We must be close. He smells the evil. (laughs) (laughs) And suddenly they're shot out of the sky. I love all the imagery here, all the, like, uh, Mignola crackle or whatever. Yeah. We see Emperor Zombie's soldiers. They're shooting at the rocket. Mr. Groin tells Screw on Head to go on ahead. And with a poot, he ejects from the rocket. It's great. <laughs> and you can see his soldiers have that little skull with the crown on their uniforms as well. They shoot at Screw on Head as he falls. And we see the bullets. Are they just like going through him or are they bouncing off of him? Because it says like ping, 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 ping. Right. Well, it looks like they're actually, because of the, the image, looks like they're actually creating holes. Right. Like they're going through them, because then on the other panel in the back, it looks like they've made Yeah, you're wounds. right, yeah. yeah. Long live Emperor Zombie, one of the soldiers says, and we see Screw on Head falling towards the ruins. 
Over with Emperor Zombie and his crew, Professor Snap examines the turnip. And now he's got this kind of headpiece on with these goggles, and it's connected to this, like, headphone jack type thing that's buzzing. And so he's holding that and the turnip in the other hand. I like how he's describing uh, Shambhala's the hidden city of secret masters with their real power they command the elements and all kinds of stuff like that yeah it's fantastic <laughs> and all kinds of stuff like that and so they mentioned the vril yeah and so yeah. this is already kind of one little connection we know that the vril exists in the hellboy universe that's a term that we've seen a lot so that kind of bridges some of that universe building here with this weird story we also cut to this relief of gung again which i really like and we kind of see more of that design Snap tries to establish contact. He pokes the turnip with the buzzing input jack. I like how it just says poke. Just all the little, uh, the pacing in this. Emperor Zombie says oops. And then we see Professor Snap has been zapped by poking this thing. Well, and And it's it's him. He's still holding the little deal. His little helmet pops off. Yeah, Yeah. we see that. He turns into this weird, crazy monster. Fantastic design on this this Mignola monster. It looks amazing. It's a good page. It laughs and it calls them stupid humans. Free at last from my vegetable prison. (laughs) You poor, sad, insignificant brains cannot conceive of the horror that is coming now. And I love the pacing on these bottom <laughs> panels because Emperor Zombie standing there with patience next to him. And then in the next panel, she turns into this, uh, she poops into this little bat. That's cute. Just then, screw on head, burst through the ceiling. Screw on head, Emperor Zombie yells, I surrender, take me to jail. So now that this giant monster's there, Emperor Zombie's all scared. I love we also see the bat flying away. I just love the art on that bat as it's flying through the air. Just this, uh, again, every single page of this would be an amazing thing to own. You know what I mean? Like, if someone was like, you can have one of those amazing screw on head pages, which one do you want? I would be like, anyone. Anyone would be great. The juxtaposition of this just incredible art to the very (laughs) like little kid story is i just i really i think it works and it's just this it's in this magical area of storytelling that you don't see too often right yeah i I also like when screw on head crashes through the ceiling he's like not so fast emperor zombie what like the monster's oh yeah (laughs) what he didn't even say it angrily he's like what it's good yeah the monster bat screw on head away and he says, now the horror, time to begin the horror. I love that. <laughs> just love this dialogue. <laughs> well, goes, you are an irritant to me. Yeah. Now the horror, time to begin the horror. I can't allow that, Screw on Head says. I work for the president. And he pushes this button on his wrist and his, uh, and his fist flies out with a pong. And it goes into the mouth of the monster. It's so silly and so creepy. <laughs> we just, so good. Outside, we just see this huge explosion. All the ruins have been destroyed. We see Emperor Zombie's evil balloon flying away. Mr. Groin and Mr. Dog come and inspect the ruins. They're looking for screw on head. Well, hold on a second. Before, uh, when he uh, shot his uh, robot hand off, it reminded me of this like uh, cartoon I used to watch that nobody seems to ever remember called <laughs> Transor Z. Uh, oh, okay. It was a Japanese thing, and I know it has a different name in Japan, but the one I saw growing up was called Transor Z, and he would like shoot his fist off all the time. Okay. <laughs> would, an, would another one emerge, or did he have to get it and put it back on? It was like a rocket fist, and I want to say it came back, but I honestly I, oh, okay i saw this cartoon when i was like nine years old so <laughs> yeah so in the cartoon i noticed when screw on head shot his fist another one would would grow back or something i thought that was kind of interesting mr groin did you see emperor zombie go by screw on head says 
Yes, sir, I did. He scrambled up the anchor line into his evil skull balloon. And so he points to the the balloon and we see it kind of, it's still being tethered to the ruins by this anchor. He's already getting underway, Head says. His body's too banged up to fly, but soon enough we'll meet again. And then, and then suddenly the anchor comes and it just impales Head and starts taking him up with the, with the balloon. And Mr. Groin is impressed by this. He thinks it was on purpose, right? He's like, that's a bold plan of action, Mr. Head. Oh, but notice his hand is still missing, so he doesn't grow another one. Oh, yeah. He didn't grow another one on this one. And so the balloon takes him up. We cut up to the balloon, and it's very nice inside. It's all like, <laughs> it's yeah, all furnished. It. It's got like a library in there and everything. Just because you're an evil henchman doesn't mean you can't have some of the nicer stuff. Right. Well, I guess not a henchman, evil zombie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> inside, zombie talks to patients, and he says, There is no question about it. The whole world must be made to suffer for this indignity. And then she mutters something else, and he's like, Yes, poison frogs, plague rats, giant fire breathing robot. And he's got like these three buttons, A, B, and C. So I guess each one is a different thing. He's right. like, But what sort of punishment? Why not all three? Patient says. And there's this one beat where he just looks at her. And then he's like, marry me. <laughs> amazing. Just amazing character moment. So good. Not so fast, Emperor Zombie. And screw on head burst through the bottom. It's just his head this time. So I guess he <sighs> unscrewed from the body and climbed up the rope, maybe like biting it along the way. Or like, I just like to think about that. Screw on head. <laughs> curse your ill timing. And we see Patience turns into a bat and flies away again. And screw on head, he bites some of the wires in the balloon. Stay out of those wires, you fool. Emperor Zombie pulls the gun on him, and just then screw on head bites down. There's his buzzing sound. Oh, Emperor Zombie says, and then it blows up. And we see screw on head's head falling to the ground. And we cut over to this kind of uh, rooftop. There's like a church or something, and we can see all the debris from the exploded hot air balloon falling down. And we cut to Lincoln. Another job well done, screw on head. Once again, the Earth is a safe place for living humans. Thank you, Mr. President, screw on head says, but it's just his head upside down in the ruins. <laughs> right? It's just like, like, yeah. And then so we cut to this woman. She's holding screw on head. She says, our hero. And then we see all these people with beers, and they're all kind of cheersing, and they have a banner that says screw on head. I think it's more like wine. Oh, okay, yeah. And we see these three guys, all these Victorian guys, and they've got it their... It looks like the Cheers opening. Yeah, they've got their wine glass. Oh, it does look shit. like the Cheers opening. You're right. One of them says, At this juncture, we had hoped to present the secret origin of Screw-On Head. But as it turns out, the damn thing's a secret. So instead, we present three horrible old women and a monkey. Cheers. <laughs> and then over the next three pages, we see three old women. One is labeled a werewolf. One is labeled a cannibal. One is labeled a criminal lunatic, and then we see a monkey with a crown with all these kind of flies going around him, and then it says the end. And that's it. That was the end of the issue. That's how the issue ended here. So what what did you guys think about Screw Head? It's like what I say when I first got here, and I told you, I was just like, man, this was like reading a stream of consciousness. Right. (laughs) It was just so bizarre and so... just ridiculous i mean it was great i mean wrong it was it was hilariously wonderfully hilarious story but it's just like what (laughs) it's like here if you had writer's block and you asked your your 10 year old niece to write a story for you this uh this monkey with the crown it kind of reminds me of count guarino from box full of evil 
Mm. Remember, he got yeah. turned into a monkey, and then he when he went through, he like had a crown on his head. Anyway. That's because he said he wanted a golden crown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the story notes, Mignola writes, The amazing screw-on head started out as an idea for a toy. It wasn't a serious idea, just a thought. A robot head threaded like a light bulb that you could screw into different robot bodies. I like that. I still want that toy, but I'm not a toy designer, so I turned the thing into a comic. At first, it was going to be something very fun and modern, the kind of thing Nickelodeon makes cartoons out of. But as I started getting serious about drawing it, it started to slide into the kind of stuff I really like to draw. Low-tech machines, statues, rooftops, and old dusty Victorians. And if there was going to be a president in it, he was going to have to be Lincoln. In the end, and the whole thing went pretty fast, I created a comic that was pretty much just for me. I didn't expect anyone else to care about it, so I was pretty surprised when right away people started telling me it was the best thing I'd ever done. I like when that happens. It was published as a one-issue comic in 2002 and won the 2003 Eisner Award for Best Humor Publication. Yeah, I would love that toy. They need to make that. Someone needs to make that toy. Well, I'm surprised they haven't already. Uh, I mean, with all the other, you know, Mignola really related to stuff. And right, yeah. One thing I did like in the uh, animation we watched was when the president was talking to him, it was that picture, but it would flap between closed mouth, open right, mouth, closed yeah. mouth, open mouth. <laughs> I thought that was a neat little effect. Yeah, so let's talk about the cartoon. It was created in 2006 as a pilot. It's directed by Chris... Pranoski and written and produced by Brian Fuller. Mignola is also credited as writer. And it features Paul Giamatti as Screw on Head, David Hyde Pierce as Emperor Zombie, Pat Oswalt as Mr. Groin. It's quite Cor- a cast. Corey Burton yeah. as President Lincoln. Mindy Sterling is the two old ladies, Aggie and Geraldine, and Molly Shannon is Patience the Vampire. And so uh, in the DVD, it comes with this little booklet. And in the booklet, it also has a little thing by Mignola. He talks about how it started out as a toy. A lot of ideas come and go, but this one stuck with me. In a day or two, I'd come up with something sort of like a story, mostly just an excuse to draw a bunch of stuff that I like, and I thought it was pretty funny. I didn't know if anyone else would think it was funny, but I didn't really care. I wanted to do this thing just for me, and thanks to the nice people at Dark Horse Comics, I did. It never occurred to me that the comic would sell... Or that it would win the 2003 Eisner Award for Best Humor Comic. I certainly never thought it would be turned into an animated show featuring the voice of Paul Giamatti and David Hyde Pierce, Molly Shannon, and Pat Oswalt. In fact, I didn't believe that casting until I spent the afternoon watching Giamatti and Pierce record their parts together. That was something. I never planned Scrum had to be more than just the one comic. To turn it into a pilot for a TV series, the original story needed to be expanded. The world and characters would need to be fleshed out. Brian Fuller loved the comic and seemed to understand it. Not everyone does. So I was happy to leave all that fleshing and expanding to him. To provide new design work for the show, we were lucky to get the great Guy Davis. Guy is currently the artist on the BPRD comic, which was coming out at the time, and his series The Marquee. When you need a giant hookah and mechanical crab bodies, there is no one better, as you'll see on the following pages. And Guy Davis's sketchbook for those designs are included in this little book. Mignola writes... For this book, I provided a new cover and a couple designs for possible screw-on-head characters, all colored by my long-time, long-suffering collaborator, (laughs) the great Dave Stewart. I don't know what the deal is with the crab guy, but I suspect the flower guy is a smooth-talking Professor Moriarty-like criminal genius. 
I'd like to thank everyone who has been involved with this thing from the beginning to now, and hopefully one of these days we'll see that series. It's a strange world and strange things happen. Maybe we'll even see that screw-on-head toy. Who knows? Mike Mignola, 2006. That would be so good. And yeah, so there's some great designs in this. That, that is something I did like from the anime. He's like, I'm going to get the information from you. I'm going to smoke you. And I was just like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. So there's also the special features on the DVD. And Mignola talks about that that was not his idea. The hookah and the smoking, that was their idea. And there is footage of Mignola watching them record their lines. And he's just got the hugest smile on his face as he's sure, watching. It's yeah. really cool. I mean, can you imagine? That's awesome. On the commentary to the DVD... The director and producer talk about that Dave Stewart did the colors on the color models for the show. Can I just say also that everyone did a great job with their voice acting. I thought that was a hell of a cast. That was really good. Everyone did a great job. But David Hyde Pierce really leaned into it, did a great job of the um, the comedy beats. Right. Really, you know, that could have easily fallen flat if you didn't have someone really committing. Right. Of course. Yeah. To the comedic timing of that and to the the attitude. Oh, look, it's gun. Foolish mortal. Do I look mortal to you? Here it is. Vangan Agroesh, the left eye of Nog, the jewel worshipped by the wizards of Mu and the black priests of Atlantis, finally passed down to Gung the Magnificent, who was chosen by the gods to conquer the world with it. And now, it's my... Ew. It's not a jewel, it's a dirty old piece of crap. It's a turnip, and it looks like it has a small parallel universe inside. When Professor Zombie goes flying, and he goes, not the head, that was an ad lib by David Hyde Pierce to kind of throw in there. And they they thought it was good, so they kept it in. And yeah, so... it's not the face. Oh, not the face, Yeah. 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 So at the end of the comic, we see those old women... And the monkey in the cartoon, they're the henchmen of Emperor Zombie. So they yeah. kind of worked them in there. They also worked in a backstory where Patience and Scrawn Head had a relationship before she got turned into a zombie. That was kind of worked in there, too. And then there was this other angle that Emperor Zombie was his former manservant. It- Wants to kill all of his, and he wants to man kill all the other manservants, and so all that I thought were really fun, and they they went along with the story pretty good. It's also uh, cool to uh, learn that Paul Giamatti and David Hyde Pierce recorded their dialogue together because yeah. a lot of times right. in animation they don't. Everybody's usually separate, but um, I, I like know. it whenever that happens cause because you get a, you, you get, get a good dia- a, yeah, yeah right. you get a good more back and forth. It's yeah. a lot more fun. Yeah, so if you have the DVD, the special features are worth checking out just to see uh, some of that footage of them recording their lines. I love stuff like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. At the end of the cartoon, Lincoln signs the Homestead Act. This was a real political maneuver in 1862 to expand and develop the U.S. on the Western region. But in the cartoon, they say it's because there's more stuff out there. That right. Scrawn Head's going to have some more adventures for him. But I like how they're using the historical fiction. You know, we've seen that in the Hellboy series, and they're also using it over there. And, oh, and before, cool. we, before we go to Abu Gung, there are these extra panels. So these were not in the comic, but we see, like, Mr. Groin. I think this is Mr. Groin here with all the fly, these pictures of flies around him. Or maybe that's supposed to be Emperor Zombie when he before he turned into Emperor Zombie. I don't know. He's got bat wings. Oh, no, that's the later one. There's an, there's one before. Oh, yeah, okay, my bad. I was looking at the wrong picture. Yeah, there's a couple of these pictures that show these Victorian guys. There's this one that's got like a bird in a jar on its head. And there's a similar one in the DVD sketchbook that has a flower in there. Well, I, yeah, I was about to say, I, I like that one because it's a guy with a 
flower head in a jar and the bird is on top singing that little Mignola oh, note. Oh, yeah. And that's the one that Mignola said was going to be like a Professor Moriarty type yeah. smooth-talking criminal. That's good. Reminds me of um, Chairface Chippendale from the Tick cartoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. And these are really great. Yeah, there's one with wings. I think the screw-on-head story was a little ahead of its time. Yeah. It really was. This was kind of before... The pilot was before all of the... I don't really even know what I'm trying to say. I, it's hard to categorize the types of animated stuff that we watch now. Right. It's very... It almost sounded like Sci-Fi Channel was trying to compete with um, Cartoon Network's Adult Swim that was around at the time because they were doing um, right. Aqua Teen Hunger Force around that time. Right. Okay. And, yeah. And all that other kind of weird stuff that they had on during that during the early aughts. I guess I couldn't decide like what it they wanted it to be. Right. You know? And I, apparently, I really one thing I one thing I forgot to mention was Mignola actually mentions that he is not a big fan of the animation. Um, he, he says he doesn't like anything that looks like his style. Right. So yeah. there's actually an interview that I was watching from last year where somebody asked him about it, and he said that he could never get more than a few minutes into it because he's like, my art's not supposed to look like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember I watching. Feel that. I remember when I was watching. Um, one of the two Hellboy animated films, I can't remember which one, they talked about how they were going to do it like Mignola style. And he's like, no, don't, right. don't do that. And then yeah. they went and got that other style. And then every time I like, you know, read something like online, people are talking about, man, I'd love to get an anime in Mignola style. I'm like, he, he does, does not, not want, want that. that. Right, yeah. He does not want that at all. And he even mentions in that interview, he says, some people love it. You know, some people don't like it. He's like, that's great. You know, if you, if you like it, I'm, I'm glad that you liked it. But Obviously, it didn't get picked up. Right. So. Well, I just I think there's a place for stories like this in animation. Uh, I just feel like it's so hard to nail it down. Right. You yeah. Know? But especially if you have like awesome voice actors and stuff like that's yeah that's awesome. Well, they really tried with this voice. They really cast. did. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm um, you know I'm not saying I didn't like it or anything. I just feel like uh it just might have been it might have been just in the wrong place at the wrong time or right I don't yeah. know. and it definitely has a pilot episode feel to it yeah right it's very piloty but yeah. anyway yeah. it just made me think of this other thing like michael mann you know he tried to make this movie it was his ideal movie and he tried to make this kind of crime movie and it like sucked um, and and it didn't work out and then later when he became michael mann the acclaimed director he said i'm gonna make that movie again and this time i'm gonna get the right people to do it and i'm gonna do it with my big movie budget now yeah. and it was heat <laughs> and wait what and, and it's the exact same movie with the exact same dialogue and the exact same script but it's just better and then that movie went on to be acclaimed as one of the Holy best sure. movies ever have you seen it the original one? Yeah. Or, you know, The Heat. I, I've seen Heat, but oh, I haven't heat. seen the original one. I didn't even know about this. Yeah. Heat is one of my favorite movies. So, apparently, you know, that's a thing, basically, where you can go, hey, I want another, I want to do this again, but right, sure. or whatever. Why yeah. Not? Yeah, absolutely. And well, do, People do that with albums. What's the name of the original movie? I forget. You can look it up. Yeah. Damn. I don't know it off the top of my head. But it, but he directed it. It's It's one of his movies. So, that would be one easy way to find it. Now we're going to move on to Abu Gang and the Beanstalk. This is a one-shot story written and drawn by Mike Mignola. It was originally published in Scatterbrain Number 1 as a five-page story. This version of the story was then collected in the Scatterbrain hardcover collection. And for this collection, Mignola completely redrew the story and expanded it to nine pages. Both versions of the story are collected in the Amazing Screw-On-Head Artist Edition. 
And we open on Professor E.E. Stoop. He's got some great Egyptian relics around him. And he tells the story of a Gung man from the Gung River Valley in the land of Mu. He was cursed with an eventful life. And we see this boy, Abu Gung, looking at this beanstalk rising from this temple. And all this is just beautiful imagery. Um, I like all the statues around Stoop. One of them reminds me of that uh, Sobek, right? The Egyptian god that looks like a crocodile. Oh, and so the land of Mu and Gung, all that stuff was mentioned in Screw on Head, right? Yeah. That was who was holding the box. The boy approaches this temple, and inside there's this old woman. He asks her for a potato, and she says they only eat broken furniture and cobwebs, but they'll share with him. And he's like, no thanks. Uh (laughs) (laughs) What a random thing. This other old woman says, we weren't always like this. Once we were a proud family. Father, Malinka, Polinka, and myself, but then father died and we squandered all his money on jewelry and fancy soap. And these panels, these flashback panels are really beautiful. The color palette is just great as it kind of shifts back and forth between these old witches with all these flies and then this beautiful imagery of when they were young. Then we began to starve, one of them says. Finally, I took my jewels to the market and traded them for food, enough to last three years. Then I did the same, the other woman says. Then it was Polinka's turn. And we get a flashback. She traded her jewels to a beggar in the streets for three magic beans, and then we beat her for being stupid. (laughs) She ate them all herself. And so we get a couple things here. We get this beautiful image of Polinka in the past, and then we also get this kind of devil, and he kind of looks like a... Like kind of like a fat Hellboy, right, or something. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he does without without the right hand of doom. Without the right hand of doom, but he's kind of got those horn stubs kind of things, and then he's got a little flame over his head. And then we see the beans too, the magic beans, and we see one of them growing, right. And I like the progression of this as like the last panel is just all green. Poor Polinka, one of them says, it made a horrible noise. And we cut to Polinka's remains. And this is just incredible, right? Right, yeah. We just see this giant beanstalk growing out of her body. You know, so we see the corpse of her and then the beanstalk is kind of growing around it. I've always, you know, it makes yeah. me think of, um, you know how they do these pods now that it plants a tree? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you could get buried in this pod and then it plants a tree. But I've always thought, like, what if that tree gets knocked over? <laughs> Is there going to be like this skeleton, like all in the roots, like that, just that like? That would be amazing. That's the only way well, I, I would ever do that. Is if I is if that's I would put that in whatever last will and testament. Right. Of like, but eventually you have to make it so that my skeleton is hanging out of it. Yeah, that's, that's the only with all the tangles of roots and everything. The only way I'll agree to do it. To I do thought it. I thought the pod you have a process, so there was no skeleton left. Oh, okay. Kind of, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of heard about it, and a friend of mine was like, "But what about the fruit that grows from there? Would you want to eat that? Gross." No, no. that's great. No, that's awesome. That's the whole idea. Well, no, that's that that's what that's what my friend was saying. Yeah, yeah, I think that's super cool. That would be awesome. You go and you right. take some grandpa apples, <laughs> right? Or some Granny Smith apples. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> ah, that's good. That's good. Oh, Abu Gang asked the woman if they have ever thought to climb up the thing, and they said they're too old. We are two old women who eat garbage. We can't climb. <laughs> nice. Well, I'll have a look. Abu Gang says, and though he could climb like a monkey, still it took Abu Gang nine days to climb the beanstalk. And at the top, the devil was waiting, and we see that kind of fat devil that Polinka traded her jewels to to get the beans. 
hey boy what's your name he says i like his little lampshade yeah he's got like this little and there's a little bat over him too and i like like kind of the stars and the moon around him right i guess to illustrate how high up they are the, the lampshade he's like wearing it like you would wear like uh, one of those umbrella hats yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> i won't tell you that abu gang says but i know who you are you sold that girl magic beans ha the devil says i've been doing that trick for 500 years she got what she deserved dead She's he, not dead, Abu Gung said. Were you sorry, say? he has big Buddha ears. Oh, oh he yeah, yeah, he does. You're right. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, he's got these big kind of like flappy ears. Abu Gung says she's alive. The beanstalk grew out of her left nostril. Impossible, the devil says. It's true. Her nose is very stretched. And there's talk of selling her to the circus. This is great. Circus. I should like to see a nose that big, the devil says. And Abu Gung's like, well, look right there. And so the devil starts looking over the beanstalk down below. Where? I don't see anything. And then Abu Gung just punts him off the bottom and he goes (laughs) flying. (sighs) And then so he falls all the way to the ground next to where the two surviving sisters are. And when he falls to the ground, he bashes open and cracks open and all these jewels kind of come out of there palenka's jewels one of them says and 500 times more there's a playing card in there yeah we get a close-up of it and we see um there's like a spade right yeah there's like rings and jewels and crowns i just love that panel just so well done we should share these with the boy one of the witches says but the boy never returned and we see that bat that was up there with the devil he took the boy with him and so there you can see this bat is giant and it's dragging the boy by his foot we cut back to ee stoop what adventures he had and how he eventually became gung the magnificent almost conqueror of the entire world those are tales as yet undiscovered the end and we see that relief again from the amazing screw on head showing gung holding that melon-sized jewel and so what did you think of the story? That's good. <laughs> it was the most interesting take on Jack of the Beanstalk I've ever right. read. And that <laughs> it, includes Jack of the Beanstalk. Right. <laughs> in the story notes, Mignola writes, Abu Gung and the Beanstalk was originally done in 1998 for the Dark Horse anthology Scatterbrain. I always liked the story and most of the dialogue, but was never happy with the way it was drawn. For the book, I've completely redrawn it and expanded from five to nine pages. Well, that's what we were just talking about. He redrew it because he was like, you know what? I'm not happy with it. I redraw it if I want to. Yeah. I'll do whatever the fuck I want. And so I was looking at the five-page version, and just a lot of these panels are more condensed. You know what I mean? Multiple things happen in one. It's, it's just um, here he's able to let it breathe a little bit more, but it has all the same story beats. Yeah, I love that one. And then we get this next page, and so I was wondering if this is Mr. Groin. It kind of looks like him or maybe some other. It's just a cool Victorian image. I love the little pattern behind him of this skull with the crossbones and the leaves. And then there's this other one with these two snakes. Just I just love all those kinds of designs back yeah. there. The next story is The Magician and the Snake. This is an oh, Eisner. Yeah, this is an Eisner award-winning collaboration between Hellboy creator Mike Mignola and his at the time 7-year-old daughter Katie Mignola. This short story was originally published in the pages of Dark Horse Maverick Happy Endings in September 2002. It says by Katie Mignola age 7 and Mike Mignola much much older. <laughs> And we see this monkey with the crown. And so we kind of already seen monkeys with crown. This is like the third time that we've seen one. Right. That's kind of a reoccurring image. And he's telling the magician that his feeble tricks are boring. Go away, he says. 
The magician asks for patience. Observe the final demonstration, he says, and he waves his hand, and three solid objects appear and hover in the air. A sphere, pyramid, and cube. I love the thing that starts you off on this very innocent tone right. is the little labels. Yeah. The magician. Like, you just take it, you're like, okay, that's the magician. Right, exactly. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, in, it says solid objects. Right. Next and- to these these shapes and it's just very yeah it's very in the spirit of what a kid would do exactly it's very yeah. kid storytelling and and they're labeled a b and c the cube is a the sphere is b and the pyramid is c and now poof the magician gestures towards the shapes and they disappear zounds the monkey king says i stand corrected very impressed you sir are the greatest magician in the world and so we cut to the magician kind of in his home and he looks kind of solemn and he's saying, I'm not. The snake comes up and like you said, it has the little the snake, labels. The magician's best friend. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's cute. This is a great honor. Why are you so sad? The snake asks. I have extended myself beyond my rightful place in the universe, the magician says. But you made those shapes disappear, the snake says. Not forever, the magician says. One day they will return and on that day I will die. The snake is heartbroken upon hearing this. Please say it isn't true, he says. All we can do is make the most of what time we have, the magician says. And the snake is like slithering up his arm. I like this. We will, the snake says. And they did. And I just love this. This is so beautiful. My favorite panel in all of the history of (laughs) anything Mike Mignola has ever done. And I know that's a big, bold claim. And I know that there's a lot of amazing pages and a lot of amazing panels and a lot of incredible artwork. But this is just so beautiful. The composition of it. I mean, the... The bird on the kite, and the they're standing on top of these castles, and the way, and this is such a simple line, but the way the snake is looking up, yeah, on the magician's sh- uh, shoulder, just like it's so expressive. It's yeah. one little line. It's yeah. the way he's looking up at the kite is just so. It's just such a gorgeous. It's such a poignant. Yes, that's what panel. I was going to say. It really is. It's so poignant and beautiful. Anyway, and this kind of you know old school idea of making the most of your time, and they're going to fly a kite. You know, yeah. I just like that too. Yeah. You know that this is something that you would do. Spending in, time together. Yeah. Doing yeah. happy things. And those last years were the happiest of their lives. This is all really sweet, and it kind of reminded me of Jen Niklas. He was saying in one of his previous comments that. Fagredo does a very tender Hellboy, and Mignola does tender, but in a weird way. And yeah. here's here's the weird yeah. Mignola tender. Like, it is very tender, yes. but it's a snake and a magician flying a kite <laughs> on the roof. But this made me cry. Do you understand that this made me cry? Like this is so emotional, but it's yeah. such a goofy. But it gets to the heart of the matter. Like you know, this is this is Eisner award winning for a fucking reason. You know, yeah. they, he and his daughter teamed up and got straight to the heart of yeah of the matter here. But all things end, and we see the kite flying away, so I think that's a good transition, too. And one night, the shapes returned. And so we see the magician standing in his home, and before we go on, did you notice the paintings in the background? Yeah, flowers. Mm-hmm. They look like lilies to me. They do? Yeah. Are they lilies or no? Well, no, because you see uh, some more detailed ones, and they're, they actually look a little bit like daisies. Oh, okay. I kind of was trying to make a connection there with the lilies right. and Hellboy. But I do like how They're all really his paintings nice, have, have that same image in them. Yeah. And we see the snake running up to this light that's coming down. Not yet, it says. And so I like this transition because when you turn the page. Yeah, the light is. 
there's kind of a couple different things going on. The shape, I like how the shapes are in one panel, but then it's connecting to the other panel. You can yeah. see the light yeah. shining down. And then if you go back to that page where the snake is going, not yet, he's actually in the light. Yeah. You know, that's shining. So there's like some continuity there. I like the, those little details. It's scary how this like cinematography is yeah. working here. Like it's just beautiful. The snake climbs up the roof of the magician's house and was furious with the shapes. Go away, the snake yelled at the shapes. That panel is so perfect. Yeah. I love all the little stars, too, in the sky. I love the idea that the snake is furious with them, and he's yelling, yeah. go away, at them. Like, it's just, the whole thing is it's just brilliant. The snake asked the magician to change it into a lion. I will bite and swallow them, and then you will live forever, the snake says. I cannot, but now everything that was mine is yours. And I know you will remember me, the magician says. I will, the snake responds. And so I want to point out in this moment the way that they're posed, right? So the magician is holding the snake with both hands. And the magician died, but he was happy in his passing because he was so well-loved by the snake. The end. And we end on this little heart shape. Yeah, so that that was a beautiful little story. What would you guys think of that one? It was sweet. And, you know, the one, you know, like the snake saying stuff like, go away. That's the kind of stuff like a kid would definitely say. Yeah. You know. And we end on this statue of the magician. He's holding the snake in that same pose that we saw at the very end. He's standing on the shapes. And he's standing over the the shapes. shapes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the image that um, Carlos Martinez had a tattoo of. So cool. And didn't someone make a sculpture of this? I don't know. I don't know. I would love maybe. I thought I saw. Maybe on Mike Mignola's art. Yeah, in the group that Jerry runs there. Didn't someone make a sculpture of this? I don't know. I don't remember. Possibly. Hey, book club members. Yeah, let us me, know. Help me with this. And I like this little uh, <laughs> panel of the snake there at the bottom. Yeah. It's nice. In the story notes, Mignola writes, The Magician and the Snake. One day, an editor at Dark Horse called and asked me to do a story for an anthology he was putting together. She only asked that it not be a Hellboy story. I said, sure, but had no idea what I was going to do. A day or two later, it might have been the same day, but it seems a little too good to be true. I picked up my daughter, then age seven, from school. On the walk home, she told me about a picture she had drawn that day. A snake on a rooftop being furious with some floating objects. What? She went on to tell me the story behind the picture, and I remember thinking, I'm not quite sure what this is, but it's better than anything I'm going to come up with. (laughs) I drew the story pretty fast, and I recall only one snag. I wanted the magician to be a Victorian stage magician, but my daughter, being seven, insisted on the pointed hat. Yeah. I think she was right. Good job, Katie. Oh, man. This this story was Stick just Stick to fun. your guns. He says, I swear I didn't know... Oh, about happy endings. It was featured in happy endings. I, I swear I didn't know that was the title when I did the story. So this story appeared in a book called Happy Ending. Right, yeah. Okay, wow. (laughs) And he says, it won the 2003 Eisner Award for Best Short Story. That was a good year. Because I think he also won for Amazing Screw on Head for the Best Humor publication on on the same one. So I want to read this blurb that I found from the Hellboy Wiki, which is a great resource that I visit often when I'm doing my story notes. The meaning of the solid objects is deliberately left ambiguous and open to interpretation. However, in an interview with Le Comis Dis Comics, Mignola did elaborate on what the solid objects mean to him. The magician had made these shapes disappear and everyone said, you're a great magician. It's like people saying to me, you're a great artist. Well, I don't feel that I am a great artist. I feel like I get credit for being better than I am. So that's the feeling that went into that. And the shapes coming back, it was sort of like someone saying, you know, you're not really that good. Again, it's very complicated emotional thing, which is why those shapes are very important. Because to me, there's something very personal about my own creative thing. Yeah. 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 Great 
artists rarely think that they're right. great. And yeah. I think the second that you think I'm so great, you've stopped trying to right. do the work that you set out to do. The second you think, hey, I'm so great, that's the day that you are no longer great. You've stopped working towards you. You're stagnant. Right. You're no longer trying to get better or learn anything when you stop trying to learn or grow or draw or evolve you're done and what's the fucking point so i think that you know people who puff themselves up and they think they're so great they rarely are and the the true greats the true geniuses of any given medium you know the great artists are like i suck i'm the fucking worst yeah one of these days everyone's gonna fucking realize it or they already do and they're just lying to me right, about it. Right. And this is all going to come crashing down and I've built this uh, the house on a fucking sand and it's all going to come tumbling down someday. And eventually I'm going to wake up and this was all a fucking dream right, and everyone's right. laughing at me and I just suck. And those are like, I think just some of the greatest artists and the geniuses that have ever lived think that way. They have fucking, uh, what's the thing? The fr- uh, fraud syndrome. What's it called? Oh, imposter. Imposter syndrome, right? That doesn't surprise me at all that he feels that way about his work because his work is amazing. Yeah, and it'll it... keep getting more and more amazing. Yeah, because he because he thinks he's crap. <laughs> it's in, it's just anyway. Sorry, what are you gonna say? No, Duncan Figueredo talks a lot like that about his art too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that a little bit last Any time. Any artist worth their salt thinks they fucking suck. Because you and you can tell the difference between someone who's like fishing for compliments and someone who thinks mm, that could have. Right. I don't know yeah. if it's that great. I don't know. Well, we've seen so many instances of him redrawing stuff, yeah, too. Remember sure. the yeah. Virkalak was redrawn also yeah. for the omnibus versions well, and all a, that stuff. It's such a fine line, though, because it's like, you know, if you you could do that forever, right? You could keep repainting the same painting forever and ever and never stop and keep reworking it until it's ruined back into the fucking dirt. But knowing when to stop reworking something, knowing when to just let it go, even though you think you could still keep working on it. That's also, that's a fucking right. skill, man. And it, it gets better with age. And so if you want to go back and rework something you did, if you think there's room for that, by all means, you're the fucking artist. You can do it. But also like learning to just let it go and be like, ah, yeah, you know, is a, is a thing. I'm going to go back in all the podcasts and fix all my errors <laughs> and all of them. <laughs> it's a fine line. It's a fine line. Yeah. You could obsess about stuff like that forever or you could pick and choose little things that you think, you know what? This really deserves a second look. Right. Before yeah. I put it back out there or yeah so i think it's it's a fine line and and that's that's a skill like any other skill but yeah no you're right i mean um you do have to at some point just have to put it down and step yeah. away so because like that saying they say like true art is never really finished it's just abandoned yeah. or something like that yeah. right and then oh, yeah. of course and unless you're george lucas where you're like no i'm a special edition <laughs> the shit out of this See, there's an example where that the art was not served Right. The next story we're going to talk about is The Witch and Her Soul. This story was created by Mike Mignola for this collection. We open on two puppets. The blue one is Hankel and the yellow one is Manx. We got another puppet story here. (laughs) Yeah, we've seen some puppets before in The Ghoul. We saw puppets there. Puppets are a big part of the Mignolaverse. And these puppets, they hear a scritching sound. And we get this panel of this old woman sitting at a piano. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this is Jerry Turnbull's favorite panel. Somebody had a thread where they said, what's your favorite non-Hellboy panel? Mm. And I think this is the one that he picked. And I love all this. And you can see all the stuff hanging in the background. I love how there's like a, just a, an alligator. Or what is that? Yeah. Is that an alligator or a crocodile? Well, it looks like a, yeah, like a puppet or a model or something. Right. It's just hanging from the ceiling. Great yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a great panel. It's, it's just goofy fun. There's like a little bird statue next to the lamp. Over yeah. There. And so they hear that sound, and Hankel, he says he thinks the sound is death. 
But I'm afeard of death, Manx says. Yeah, that's a very unusual phrasing. Yeah, it's cute. Get the idea again of souls being this white bird. Right. We have seen that before, like in The Third Wish, and I think in another story as well. And we see this bird. It's, it starts out as a little sliver. I love all this animation. Yeah. And it comes out as this bird. Starts and to at, sing a little note. And as it goes flying out the window, then we see that the string turns into chains. And there's this like gong sound. Like I guess it can't come out anymore, right? It's kind of stuck there. I was assuming it was like her soul or something. Right. You know, and it just like, you know, got rooted in so it can't get anywhere. Yeah, it's still chained there. There's this thud at the fireplace and a character emerges from the ash. You're a couple of sad looking characters, it says to Hankel and Manx. And I don't suppose you're good for anything. That's sad. And Hankel says, hey, who are you anyway? I'm the devil, he says. Hmm, I don't think so. And then it goes poof, and then he turns red. Because at first he's all covered with ash, and they're like, oh, what do you want, Hankel asks. The old lady shuffled off her coil, so I'm here to collect, the devil says. I can see you guys don't know much, so I'll clue you in on how it works. The old lady wanted magic powers so she could do some crazy stuff. And I gave him to her because I like trouble. She signed the book and that means I get her soul. I also get any curious objects she may have created using those powers. Mannequins, puppets, or homunculi. And Hankel's like, what? There's nothing for it, boys. You're off to hell. And we get this one panel of people burning in hell. But I also love this. We also see the old woman and her spirit is kind of still, it's chained. This bird is chained down. I guess supposedly, I like how that's how they illustrate it. Her soul can't move on because she made a deal with the devil. The flap, flap sounds. Oh, right. Yeah. It's just, oh, God, it's heartbreaking. And we see the old woman now. She's like a skeleton, too. So I just love all that pacing behind it. I love the devil, like, pointing behind him. Well, you yeah, know what I, I mean? Love, I and this little, the... this little book pops out of the air, and he opens it, and he's, like, pointing to it and reading from it. The bookmark has a little skull dangling off of oh, it. Oh, wow. I love that little detail. I Great. Dig, I dig the uh, dialogue here. I love the off-the-cuff kind of yeah. very uh, the way the devil talks. succinct kind of... <laughs> The old lady's dead. I'm here to collect. You don't know what's going on. I'm going to clue you in. Right. The old lady wants magic power so she can do crazy stuff. And I'm going to get her soul. So <laughs> you guys are coming with me. It's good stuff. We're wood and likely to burn, Hankel says. A deal's a deal, fellas, the devil says. Ah, I'm afraid of it, Hankel says. I love that. <laughs> I just love that panel. He's like, I don't want to. And then so the devil kind of reconsiders a little bit. Unless... I suppose I could turn you into evil puppets, but you'll have to promise to do something really evil before the end of time. We'll take it. The puppets (laughs) immediately agree before he's even done talking, and so he zaps them into demon puppets. This transformation panel is so good. Yeah, it really is, and they have like these little wings now and stuff like that, and they're kind of like red-tinted. Like the sense of movement you get with the, the crackle. Yeah. And so they start flying into the sky... And they're like, ooh. And they look back and they see the old woman's soul still trying to get out. And it's like, please, help, please. I feel bad for her, Hankel, Manx says. She should have been good, Manx. Look at the trouble she got us into, Hankel says. But I think this is such a funny line because if she was good, she wouldn't have created them. Right. Right? Yeah. (laughs) He says it's true. It's true. (laughs) And then so we end on the devil. He's pulling on that chain that her soul is bound to. And he says... I don't expect much from those guys, but I made evil puppets, and that's a good day's work for me. Okay. I love that. The end. <laughs> And we see the little book and the bat again. And so all this is just great. And this is like kind of the absurdity. It's just kind of like the devil's just like, I made evil puppets. Yeah. So that's that's a devil thing. As he's Good. like, as check he's, that box for today. As he's got the chain, uh, the 
man, it's great. It, yeah. It's hilarious. It's like it could just go, do, 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 yeah. <laughs> In the Hellboy wiki, it said that the story is set in the same location that Emperor Zombie's evil skull balloon blew up over. Mm. So there's some continuity between those stories. In the story notes, Mignola writes, The witch and her soul sprang into my head fully formed one day, complete with the names Hankel and Manx, which is a good thing because I could have never come up with those names, though I suppose I did. And the next story is How Dr. Snap Murdered Professor Cyclops and What Came of It, or The Prisoner of Mars. That's like kind of an old-timey thing, right? Yes. Where it yeah. would have like this long name and then this really succinct one. This was a story created by Mike Mignola for the Amazing Screw-On-Head collection. We open up in this bar... And the bar is called The Magician and the Snake. And there's a sign on there, and it has the magician holding the snake in that same pose as yeah, the statue. Like a wooden and sign. we see the solid objects around him. And so that's kind of interesting that that's the name of the bar, and there's that image on the sign. Inside, these men talk. They're discussing some story involving a sultan and Cosgrove being married to an ape. It must have come as a blow to Cosgrove's wife, as one guy says. And the ape, another says. <laughs> and so this one guy that's talking, he kind of looks like E.E. E. Soup. That's the guy that was telling the story of Abu yeah. Gung. Yeah. They asked Dr. Snap, what do you say? And so we know that Dr. Snap was also in the first story, Amazing Screw-On-Head. Snap says, he missed the whole affair as I was otherwise engaged. No doubt you heard of my trial and legal execution. It's true, they swung me like a pirate and sadly not without just cause. And Snap tells his story. It all started with a big meteor shower. He had a call from Professor Cyclops, who was at his place at Blackmoor. One of the objects crash-landed in a nearby field. Come out, man, I've made a discovery, Professor Cyclops exclaims, and we see a capsule with a tentacle coming out of it. And so this is all great, too. I love the meteor shower, those kind of just very simple lines, but it just works really well for this story. Also, the names, too... Um, Professor Cyclops. It's great. <laughs> Unfortunately, Snap was doing some research of his own and could not get away. And we see him talking to the turnip. And so we saw the turnip in the first story. He's got it hooked awesome. up to a gramophone or something. Yeah, it's pretty weird and funny. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Cyclops, at his lab, he pokes at the tentacle thing in a tank. Some weeks passed, and Snap received another more desperate call from Cyclops, where he just says, please. Snap tells him he's on his way, but he didn't go. I meant to, Snap says, but once again I'd become distracted, and several days late arriving. Snap enters Professor Cyclops' home, and I love all the items that he has in here. Like, there's, like, this heart just kind of, like, hanging from this, like, weird strings yeah. <laughs> like medical models of yeah i love all and this and it's all labeled like anatomy stuff we saw some imagery like that from mignola in house of the living dead and we see the tank that he had the creature in but there's nothing in there snap just finds his books and notes on the floor and a knife something <laughs> dreadful has occurred snap says and i just love this page as he examines the notes we kind of cut to the notes we see all the images we see where he was trying to draw that weird tentacle object we find out later this is what the martians look like so he had already started to label the parts and we see this skull i want to point out this skull right here it's got a light bulb in its socket and it says 62 on the forehead yeah but the other two skulls right above it have a 58 and a 72 exactly he starts looking through cyclops's notes and he says a curious feeling something has gone wrong the dream again good lord mars and then it starts devolving into this crazed writing or whatever 
the shape comes up behind Snap Cyclops, he asks, and then Professor Cyclops is a weird zombie thing. <laughs> yeah. His eyes are all green and he's saying all this weird language. And so Snap, he picks up that knife and he stabs at him. It's just this red panel that says stab, but I just love that. We don't have to see it. I just like whenever they do stuff like that. Being an inexperienced murderer, I was soon apprehended and delivered to the courts and hanged, Snap says. As Snap is hanged, his ghost emerges and is like, this will do nicely. Yeah, yeah no, it, it's hilarious. He's so nonchalant about being right. tried and convicted and executed. Once free of my physical body, I was resolved to make straight away from Mars to sort out the mystery of Cyclops's growth test transformation fucking Unf- awesome panel. unfortunately i had not anticipated the sophistication of the martian technology i was captured yeah and this page is amazing as we see snaps ghost flying up to mars and then we see him looking in and he sees all the martians in there and the work is just incredible the inside of the ship and these little lights it's just the best mignola stuff ever yeah damn martian so they cut back to him telling the story i like these and they're like my god man you're finished that's what i thought at first snap says but instead they fixed me up with a robot body shaped like a frying pan (laughs) then and so then he comes across cyclops and so professor cyclops explains that he was possessed by a martian spirit when he retrieved that capsule it took over his body and his spirit was transported to mars so the mars gave him this dead martian's body and so we can see the dead martian body that cyclops is in is like this light blue and then the other Martians are kind of like a darker color and they have these red eyes. Yeah. They're short of dead bodies, Cyclops says, so they made a mechanical suit for you. I think it suits you. And Cyclops asks him if he likes it. Not at all bad. Thanks for asking. Considering our situation, I guess we're both in pretty fair shape. So it's just this bizarre... (laughs) I mean, it's just so absurd. There's this weird alien jellyfish thing. That's what the Martians look like. And this kind of frying pad robot that has these like putt-putt sounds behind it. And they're kind of talking to each other. It's it's really awesome. (laughs) Cyclops asks Snap how he got to Mars. When I finally did make it to Blackmore and found you spouting that Martian gibberish, well, I got pretty excited about it and I'm afraid I cut off your head. No harm, really. I was no longer using it, Cyclops says, but I guess they hanged you for it. They did me like a pirate, Snap says. I'm sorry about that. This is very British. <laughs> this, is so good. this is all very droll British dialogue. I love it. What do you suppose happened to the Martian ghost that was in my body, Cyclops asks. I'm a scientist, Cyclops, not a philosopher, Snap says. <laughs> And the two, they go through these old Martian relics, and they continue to talk. Cyclops says that it's all right here, and the Martians aren't bad fellows once you get to know them. And they're keen to know all about us, humans. Cyclops is teaching them. And we cut to Cyclops teaching them, and I like how he's chastising these ones for not paying attention. He's like, you there in the back, pay attention. And we see all his diagrams. (sighs) You sure that's a good idea? So I love this kind of, it builds ominous tension just in this but it's like so absurd but it still pays so well i love all the martian relics and everything it's a good storyteller for you yeah chef's kiss cyclops says it would be rude not to teach them after all he dissected one of the martians and he's sure it will all work out just fine snap asks what's that over there and he gestures towards this glowing orange doorway cyclops says he's never noticed that before and so as they approach this temple 
I just really love all this work here. It's, this is amazing. amazing. When they go up to the temple, it's got like this kind of jellyfish face or octopus face, and it's got a crown over it. And it's got that whole kind of Mignola look, you know, that we've seen in yeah. a lot of these stories. And so they go in there. And they see the Martians. Well, this one's gesturing towards Earth on a globe. He's like tapping it. This is so hilarious. <laughs> oh, no, I was afraid of something like this. It's an invasion. The work inside here is just incredible. Dave Stewart is doing an awesome job with the colors. And the color palette completely changes, too, from this kind of bluish palette to they've more. Got, they've got little battle helmets now. Yeah, yeah. they sure do. All my fault, Cyclops says. Must do something. Professor Cyclops springs into action. He tells Snap to save himself, but Snap says, However it goes, sir, I'm with you. Hey, what are you doing with those? A Martian asks Cyclops as he pulls these wires apart and touches them together. And there's this like little buzz, and then boom, there's a great panel. Snap explains that that was the first blast. It set off a series of others, and in no time at all, the entire Martian civilization was destroyed. My robot body fortunately turned out to be indestructible. <laughs> I drifted around the planet for a while and eventually stumbled across the last of the original inhabitants. And so we see Snap's robot body in all the ruins of Mars. And then we see these original inhabitants and they're like succulents, right? They look like succulents giant, or something. Giant succulents. This well, panel is just a amazing. Bit like artichokes. Yeah. yeah, but this panel is just so beautiful, and the color palette, again, has these kind yeah. of rich greens in it. Dave Stewart did such a good job with it, and when I saw this page, when I saw this panel, I was just like, this is so fucking cool. This is so awesome. It's gorgeous. It's just perfect. I yeah. love the idea that there was another race of like intelligent plants there right. that were like, we want to thank you for all those explosions. We hated those guys. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything we can do? It's very like... It's so austere and yeah. so just breathtaking and so artful yes. and so incredible. And then the dialogue is very like little kid <laughs> dialogue, which I love that juxtaposition. This panel is fucking awesome. And so Snap says that he asked them to make him a new body and send him home. And here I am, he says. And we cut back to him in the bar talking to all the guys. And as I've been legally hanged, I'm off the hook for that murder. I say, good show, Snap. You saved the world again, one of them says. Right. Pity about old Cyclops, but he was a proper hero there in the end, Stoop says. I believe I believe the dialogue was probably something more like, I say, good show. Like, it's, yeah. it's that very British kind of a thing. Yes, well, done all around. But what will you do now, one of them asked Snap. Gentlemen, I'm going to shrink myself to the size of an ant and proceed by way of very small tunnels to the center of the earth. There's no getting around it, one of them says. You are the best of us. Here's to you. And we cut to the outside of the bar. They're all chinking their glasses. The end. And we see this graveyard at the end, and we see the headstone for Dr. Snap, Professor Cyclops, and then we see the snake also slithering between the headstones. Yeah, so that was a great story. In the story notes, Mignola writes, Names are tough. The only real trouble I had with the Prisoner of Mars was coming up with a name for the murdered professor. For a while, his name was going to be Mr. Kaleidoscope. But fortunately, <laughs> I came to my senses. I love that. So he's like, and fortunately, I came to my senses. I named him Professor Cyclops instead. Yeah. <laughs> right. oh, that's hilarious. This last part, before we cut to that, we get like this weird puppet thing with wings i really love that it kind of looks like screw on head a little bit like a stone version yeah and then we get in the chapel of curious objects and we hear this bong and we see this church steeple outside and we kind of it guides us inside i really like this we kind of go up we go in through the door and then inside we see all this 
puppet angel imagery, which is really interesting. It's just a very great collection of Mignola mood shots. And as we walk up, and it has an image of the magician and the snake. And it's that same pose of the magician holding the snake with the shapes over it. But it's kind of a miniaturized version. And if you look closely, there's like little papers around it that have pictures of flowers on it. And then we see a hand go up and it kind of opens this little inset part so like within the statue of the magician there's like this one piece that can come out and so you see that part being pulled open and then we cut to this skull with the light bulb see that's why i pointed that other one out earlier it's the exact same one except it says 61 this time hmm. and then inside we see the solid objects and they're kind of floating there. I love this little panel in the middle where it's just the light in these objects. And then it just has a stone heart and it says, The End. In the story notes, Mignola writes, In the Chapel of Curious Objects isn't a story at all. It just felt like it was the thing needed to finish the book. To maybe tie the whole thing together in a way that can't quite be explained. Like a little hat for an oddly shaped head. And that's all there is to say about that. And then we immediately cut to Professor Stoop. There's another picture of Stoop there. On the Hellboy wiki, the person who's writing up that, they hypothesize that the hand opening the statue is Stoop. There's a great kind of skull head image with this devil statue right before we get to the sketchbook section. So there's this great sketchbook section. You can see Mignola kind of coming up with the version of the cover of the book. And you can see all his designs for Mr. Snap and his contraption uniform and all the designs for a lot of the other characters. Great work by Mignola on all the Martian relics and the Martian creatures. He's just the best at doing those kinds of jellyfish designs or whatever. The artist edition is amazing. You know, I'm lucky to have a copy of the artist edition. And so it features the actual pages from all these stories that we read today. It also has the original version of Abu Gung and the Beanstalk. And then it just has a bunch of pinups to fill up the rest of it. And so it's got some amazing pinups of Hellboy and a lot of the other BPRD characters and just cool Mignola stuff all around. That's cool. And it also has a short story from Hellboy in Hell in that artist edition as well, which we'll cover on a later episode. That's intriguing. Yeah, so what did you guys think of taking this little detour into Amazing Screw-On-Head territory? So weird and random. <laughs> I mean, it was fun. I mean, it, it was hilarious, and it was just it was just wacky. Yeah, just yeah. a very different side to Mignola. I think it's good to kind of see what his... Uh, you know, what his favorite stuff to do is. It's kind of like this goofy stuff. It lends well to a lot of the humorous beats in Hellboy are really kind of weird and funny like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? They all kind of have a quirky type of humor when we do get those moments. And we kind of see that. We see what would happen if Mignola could go just go wild with that kind of yeah. stuff here. Right? Yeah. It's like you're getting to opening it up and see a part of Mignola that you never really see because like the Hellboy stuff is all like like horror comics. Yes, it's very gothic and just. But I mean, it does have its funny parts and it's just hilarious. But this is just straight up wacky as fucking yeah. shit. <laughs> it's almost it's absurdist. It's good. Yeah, it's almost like um like old school Looney Tunes cartoon. Right. Like yeah. So it's almost yeah. like that Chuck Jones. Exactly. Type stuff. I love that. I love that comparison. Yeah. It's just fun. It's just fun. It's a good read. When you're done reading this, you're like, oh, that was kind of, that was fun. That was kind of interesting. It was humorous. So, yeah. you know, we don't always get that from our Hellboy and BPRD stories. But we will be talking about Hellboy and BPRD. We'll be back on track with our reading order next week. So I'm really excited to get to that next episode. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. 
All right, everybody, share us your thoughts on the amazing screw-on head and other curious objects. You can send us uh, Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. And the Discord link is on our Facebook page, along with the reading order. And also, be sure to check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com. And once again, a thank you to Paul from Gardahan for the amazing theme song. Yeah. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Be sure to, you know, give us a rating over there, too. Yeah. Next week, we are going to be discussing Hellboy in Hell, Part 1, Issues 1 through 4. So you know what to do. Pull out your back issues, your trades, your omnis. Oh, sorry, Aubrey. I have to interrupt you right there. How yes, are you going to How are you gonna be reading Hellboy in Hell? I have the digital. So, uh, uh, you know, you've been coming over every week and reading all the Hellboy stories. And, you know, not everyone knows this, but Aubrey's coming over to where we're at, you know, so every day he's got to, like, drive over here and stuff like that. And I think it's just really special that we're going to get to Hellboy in Hell now. We're going to get some more Mignola goodness after all the Mignola stuff that we got today. And I said, you know what? When Aubrey reads Hellboy in Hell for the first time, I wanted to read it in the beautiful oversized pages of the library edition. Gorgeous. So I got you a library edition for you to take home with you. So that way, when you read Hellboy in Hell, you can enjoy it in this format. And just just to say thank you for everything that you do, man. Yeah, you're the best. So anyway, you're going to bust out your library edition. Man, I'm fucking speechless. <laughs> Reading Hellboy comics with talking to your friends. Yeah, talking with my best friend, Aubrey. So yeah, man, thank you so much. So yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank you. So of course, man. I'm so glad you like it. And so I've been waiting for that moment. We where you were, love you. Yeah, we love you, man. So you guys get your own library editions. <laughs> <laughs> Aubrey is cradling this like a like a child or a small dog. All right, guys. And then you guys get your copies and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, time to begin the horror. <laughs> <laughs>